What's up, everyone? Knuckleheads MMA Podcast for UFC 243, Israel Adesanya versus Robert Whitaker. I'm Tim. I'm here again with Lee. We're talking fucking Lee. Hey, everybody. Uh, we are coming off of UFC Fight Night Copenhagen, Denmark. Uh, really good main card. Uh, really strong fights. I thought it was a really fun one to watch. I loved it. I love the way the local crowd uh, popped for Nicholas Dalby and Mark Matson. Uh, the Dalby fight was absolutely awesome. And the Matson debut was pretty much what we thought it would be. Um, but that reaction was also incredible as well. Uh, the main event, Jared Cannonier, the real deal. Um, I did absolutely horribly in my picks, but Cannonier, if he touches anybody in that middleweight division, they're in trouble, right? Yeah. We got Ovin St. Preux still uh, not ready to die yet. <laughs> <laughs> Can't stop pulling off that uh, Von Flu choke. Von Pru. Yeah. I think you and I correctly called uh, Michael uh, Olsechik, uh at least in the first round. Like, he really was. Like, he was landing in high volume. He was catching St. Prue badly. Uh, but St. Prue hung in there, and he was able to get the submission early in the second round. I, I want to say that's like the third fight of late that he's been losing pretty badly and was able to find the submission and get the win. Yeah. I mean, th- right now he, he <laughs> it, it, he's this fighter who, you know, if you don't put him away, he's dangerous every, fi- every second that the fight exists because when you think you have him hurt, he puts on that choke. Yeah. All right. So we'll go into the other uh, fights on this main card also, but real quick, I just want to recap how we did, and then we'll touch on those as we get to them. So Alex Oliveira versus Nicholas Dalby. We both were on uh, Alex Cowboy Oliveira. We both got that wrong. Uh, then, as we said, Ola Sechek in St. Prue. We were both on Ola Sechek. Then uh, Khalil Roundtree versus Ian Kudalaba. I was on Kudalaba. You were on Roundtree. Yep. Uh, that was a quick fight. It was it was fun while it lasted. Uh, Kudalaba really uh, utilizing the takedowns and uh, then just punishing him on the ground. I think he may have won that fight in the stare down where he yelled it in, in, <laughs> in Roundtree's face. Uh, that man, that I've watched that about twenty times, and I don't know. Like Roundtree was taking deep breaths, like he was very zen. But man, that was a weird moment. Yeah. I think it definitely caught him by surprise, yes. to say the least. Yes. And then we had Gilbert Burns versus Gunnar Nelson. I was on Gilbert Burns. Lee, you were on Gunnar Nelson. Yep. Then we had Danilo, Danilo Beluardo versus Mark O'Madson. We both got that one right. And then in the main event, like we've already discussed, uh, Jerry Cannonier, uh stopped being Jack Hermanson early in the second round. He really started to change uh, the tide of the fight at the end of the first and then just continued right at the beginning of the second round and uh, really knocked him down. Uh, was, I believe it was the uppercut as Hermanson was trying to shoot in, right? Yeah, I believe you're right. Yeah, it dropped him and then uh, finished him on the ground. We both got that one wrong. <laughs> and I think we should point out, 
we were both pretty uh, tough on Cannoneer's takedown defense. I want to say he stopped uh, three of four attempts, uh, and he looked pretty solid. Like, he definitely has been working on that, and he's looked better in his last few fights, and this one, uh, the best yet. Yeah, he's um, this guy's legit, and as I said earlier, if he connects... There really isn't a middleweight he's not going to be able to hurt. So as his game evolves around his power, he's going to be a championship caliber uh, threat to anybody. Interesting stuff in that middleweight division. Yep. And uh, speaking of the middleweight division, right, we have uh, a big one for this upcoming event. And so we'll get right into the breakdown for UFC 243. Here we go. Break it down. Starting with the first fight of the main card. We have uh, Justin Taffa versus Jorgen DeCastro. Minus 130 favorite for Taffa. This is, these are two heavyweights making their UFC debuts. DeCastro fought on the Contender Series, winning in the first round. I believe it was a leg kick stoppage. But this is his first proper UFC debut. He's 33-5-0. and 5 and 0. Uh, Taffa is... 3-0 reminds me a little bit of uh, Tai Tuivasa. He has that crazy belly button tattoo where it looks like their belly button is just full of tattoo ink. <laughs> he also has, <laughs> it's, it's very weird for uh, an American like me. I've never seen anything like it until these two fighters. Especially when you're a heavyweight and sometimes their bellies are a little softer, these guys. So it's yeah. like... You're sitting in a chair, and it's like, yeah, just, you know, tattoo my jello. It's very strange. Right, yeah. but anyway. <laughs> so uh, how do you see this first fight of the main card, Lee? Well, first of all, we should remember that this fight replaced Holly Holm versus Raquel Pennington, and that's a shame. Holly got hurt. Um, that would be her return to uh, this uh, area, this stadium. Uh, she knocked out Ronda Rousey. So I think she would have right. gotten a big pop. So it's a shame that... Um, she can't be fighting on this card. That said, um, there's a reason why these two guys are kicking off the pay-per-view. Um, and it's not because of their name recognition. It's because somebody's getting knocked out and it's always, uh, I think so. So that's my prediction. Someone's getting knocked out, but that said, they'll throw a leather and that's always a good start to a pay-per-view card, especially when you're fighting in front of a gigantic crowd like that to kick off. Uh, the pay-per-view portion of the night. So it's a good call by the UFC. Um, I was watching some of Tafa's fights and looking at his background. I believe he's actually fought in a tavern before in Australia. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's like this is a step up. And it's really a step up for most of these fighters who have never fought uh, in a stadium like this. Um, the way I look at this is, you know, Tafa's, uh, all three of his fights are... Um, stoppages. He's fought in extreme fighting championships. Um, he's got big time power standing up, and I, he's also gotten on top of his opponents full mount a couple times, and he'll rain down that power that way too if it does go to the ground and he gets you know position. Um, I just think you know I'm gonna pick the home home crowd guy. Um, you know, DeCastro has won four of his fights via stoppage. Uh, and like you said, that first round stoppage on the contender series, but I'm going to go with Tafa to ignite the crowd, to start off the pay-per-view via stoppage. I think this is a good debut fight for both of these guys. It's a, it's a somewhat even matchup. Like, I don't think either one of them really looks too great on tape. Uh, Tafa definitely does land with power and DeCastro does too 
his credit also. But I think there's probably a little bit heavier hands coming from Tafa. Uh, I did see Tafa in top position a lot, as you were talking about. Mm-hmm. I saw him get hurt with a low kick, which is interesting given how DeCastro finished his contender series fight. That's a good point. But then he shot... Yeah, but he shot in for like a decent single leg, uh, and he got the takedown off of that. Uh, to see him react to being hurt and shoot like a pretty successful single leg takedown is a positive sign, especially in the heavyweight division. Uh, then he got in the mount, but he was swept pretty easily from uh, from mount. Then he got in the half guard, and he had a pretty decent like competent half guard, pretty active half guard. He was able to get back up. Uh, eventually, he won the fight from getting in mount again, and this time getting the stoppage. Uh, DeCastro, I watched a lot of his New England regional fights, and there's not a whole lot to be impressed by. He DeCastro doesn't really wrestle, but he does land at 4.47 uh, on the feet, which is not a bad rate for the heavyweight division. And going by tape, I would say that's probably a higher volume rate than where Tafa lands. I just think both of these guys, kind of like you were saying, are probably going to throw bombs until somebody goes down. Uh, and it's a little bit hard to pick which side I want to go with. So I think I'm also going to pick Tafa. I think with this fight, the UFC's, you know, two things. Tafa drawing some people from the regional circuit, regional fans who know his name, and they probably wouldn't mind him getting the finish and the win. You know, for the UFC to have another heavyweight make a mark on one of their cards from that region, from the Australia, New New Zealand region, it can't hurt. You know, with Mark Hunt being gone, you have Ty Tuivasa, who we're going to talk about in a little bit. You need some more of those big guys to, to become draws in the crowd, uh, you know, with the fans there. So I think that Toph is that guy, and uh, we'll probably get that big pop from the crowd. All right, with that, we'll move on to the second fight, which is... Uh... Luke Jumo versus Diego Lima. Uh, Lima is minus 150 favorite. And I'll be honest, I'm not a big fan of Diego like Lima. Discipline. And it, it kind of feels like to me that he should even be the underdog in this fight. Uh, but he is coming off a split decision with Court McGee. Maybe somewhat questionable split decision uh, win over Court McGee. But a decent win nonetheless, and he definitely hung in there. Uh, and then, more impressively, he knocked out Chad Lupreis. Yep. Uh, how do you see this fight going, Lee? Yeah, you know, I'm with you. I, I, I think that Diego Lima is is a borderline UFC fighter, to be perfectly blunt. Do you want to be a fighter? You know, and I think probably the biggest reason why Jumo is the underdog here is because of his lack of action here in the past couple of years. Uh, he's fought once in the last two years. That was a win. Um, this is also his last fight of his UFC deal. He trains with Adesanya and Hooker. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's the rust factor that's going to be a storyline coming in for Jumo and for Lima. I just think he's got to show that he really does belong in the UFC. Um, bottom line is this. I, I actually think Jumo should be the favorite. Um, and I think that his power is going to be what ends up stopping this fight. And I think he's going to stop Diego Lima late in the fight uh, via knockout. And, um, you know, I think Jumo belongs in the UFC, but he's got to get over. He had a hand injury and he's just got to, you know, get back to fighting more consistently. And if he wins this fight, they should extend his deal. And um, I think they will. Yeah, Jumo, he lands at a slightly higher rate than Diego Lima, but... 
only five of his 13 wins are by knockout. The tape I saw of him, it looked to me from the eye like he has bad takedown defense. But he's listed at a 91% takedown defense. Like, uh, And I looked into that a little bit, and he stopped like a crazy amount of takedowns per fight. So I, I don't know in the UFC. So I don't know what was wrong with the fights on the on his regional tape that I was watching, but apparently his takedown defense isn't bad. Uh, Lima does average over one and a half takedowns per fight, and it's something that he could go for if he feels like he needs. But if Jumo really does truly defend at a 91% rate, he's going to have a hard time doing that. And I don't see him winning in a stand-up battle. I don't think that much of Jumo's striking, but I think he can land harder than yes. Lima does. Right. Uh, I saw a lot of like staring at his opponent from Jumo, though. A lot of like pummeling against the cage. That kind of stuff, it's not really that impressive. Um, but like we both kind of said, Lima in his UFC career has not really been that impressive either. He tends to not be very active as well. I'm actually a little bit back and forth on this one. I think... I think I'm going to. I think I'm going to pick Jumo based on some of the damage I saw him put on people. Uh, Lima's problem earlier in his UFC career was his durability. He's been much better lately. He hasn't been stopped in a while, but I don't think that's something you can completely just recover from or get better at. And I think he's always live to get stopped. And if Jumo's going to win, I see that being the way it happens. So I'll, I'll go with Jumo. But a hard one to pick. Tai Tuivasa versus Sergey Spivak. Uh, minus 370 favorite is Tuivasa, uh, the heaviest favorite on the card. The heaviest favorite on the main card, at least. Uh, Tuivasa coming off back-to-back losses. But to decent opponents, he lost to JDS and he lost to Blagoy Ivanov. Uh, Spivak coming off of getting KO'd by Walt Harris. Uh, this is a big homecoming fight for Tuivasa. He needs to win pretty bad. Uh, how do you see this one going, Lee? Well, I, I agree. Tuivasa needs to win very bad. And, 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 you know, here's a guy that also needs to evolve. And, um, you know, when you look at Tuivasa, you sort of look at him as a guy who in that region is the heir apparent to a guy like Mark Hunt, right? I mean, there's no doubt he has Mm. power. And in this fight, he's got a hand speed advantage that I think really is going to come into play. Um, But he, he, is he going to get sucked up into being, you know, in front of a gigantic, enormous hometown crowd? You know, the reality is he's still fighting a heavyweight, and any heavyweight who touches you can hurt you. So if Tuivasa isn't careful, you know, he can get upset. So I think if he just stays within his zone and, you know, it's okay for the crowd to get behind him, but just utilizes his hand speed and feels out Spivak early in the fight, I think he's going to end up putting him away. Um, you know, if the fight goes to the ground, uh, I guess you could say Spivak has the, the ground edge, but I don't think the fight goes there unless it's via knockdown and or a little bit of sloppiness. I don't think it goes there from a strategic standpoint. But I think Ty, right. Ty Tuivasa wins in what essentially is home turf by knockout, and I think the crowd will go bonkers, and I think he'll drink out of 
87 disgusting shoes and it'll be a, another funny moment on pay-per-view. But he needs this win bad in all seriousness. He really needs this win bad. Right. Yeah, Tuivasa lands 4.37 strikes per minute. Uh, again, another pretty good rate for the heavyweight division. That's higher than most of his opponents that he's faced recently. And by the eye, it's higher than uh, Spivak. Uh, Spivak's 24. He's 9-1 as a pro. That one loss coming to Walt Harris in his UFC debut. It might be indicative that he's not uh, ready for this level of competition. Uh, prior to the UFC, he's fought some questionable opponents. Uh, on tape, he's shown pretty good hand speed when he wants to throw. He's also shown that he's pretty patient. Uh, he likes knees in the clinch a lot. He's willing to go for a takedown, but he doesn't look great at it. He has five wins by submission, uh, kind of like what you were alluding to. Uh, if he, he would probably have the advantage on the ground. I think I would agree with you just based on, I don't think you would give two of us the advantage on the ground versus almost anybody. Right. But if you watch, uh, if you watch Spivak's, wins by submission they're not really that impressive uh that guy travis fulton he fought he knocked him down with a knee and then he tried to finish him by punching him while travis uh, fulton was in turtle uh, the referee wasn't stopping it so spivak just stood up and put his hooks in and then sunk in the rear naked choke and right. got the tap that was one of his submission wins the other one was he was fighting this 44-year-old guy. Uh, he got into side control and put him in a really weird neck crank. So if, if two of us were to gas, which with his body type, it's always on the table. Oh, yeah. Uh, and with how, with how hard he throws, it's always on the table. I guess then it could be an advantage for Spivak to get a takedown and find a submission for like an exhausted uh, two of us. It's a possible path to victory. But I see it more likely, uh, as you do, that Tuivasa finds, uh, he catches him with something uh, on the feet and then finishes him. He maybe knocks him out cold, uh, Mark Hunt-style walk-off uh, KO. Uh, we'll see how that happens, but I'm going with Tuivasa on this one, too. Yeah, I just want to add one thing. If you, if you take a step back and, and look at starting with this fight, what follows it, if Tuivasa wins, you know, it's sort of brilliant matchmaking with the UFC because if Tuivasa wins, the crowd's going to go nuts, right? So then they're going to be hyped yeah. going into this next fight, which we're getting ready to talk about. I Quinta Hooker because of where Hooker's from and then obviously have the main event. So if Tuivasa wins and then Hooker wins, oh my God, the crowd is going to be going abs. I mean, they'll, they'll go crazy anyways for the main event. But I just want to say, if those two things happen, I think it'll be even crazier. And obviously now we'll talk about the Iaquinta Hooker fight. The next station is Wontong. I love Iaquinta. I'm pretty sure you love Iaquinta also, Oh right? my God, yeah. Like almost yeah. almost literally yeah. in love with him, yeah. <laughs> We're big uh, Sarah Longo guys. Yeah. Uh, for everybody that doesn't know listening to this podcast, we everybody on this show is from New York. <laughs> Uh, I have a bias towards New York fighters. Uh, Lee has a bias towards New York fighters. Uh, Lee is a big Jared Gordon fan. And like I said, we're both Sarah Longo guys. 
So this is a big fight for Iaquinta and really tough fight to call. Oh, yeah. Uh, Hooker is a minus 160 favorite in this fight. I mean, I, I'm biased on this. I don't do this a lot, but I'm definitely, like, I'm leaning Iaquinta. And by the numbers, which I usually lean on, it says that maybe I should be picking Hooker. Uh, Hooker is much taller. He's four inches taller. He has a five-inch reach advantage. He lands at a slightly higher rate. He defends takedowns at a slightly higher rate. Uh, neither one of these guys are going to wrestle that much, but Iaquinta is the, is the one that's more likely to try to wrestle, try to go for takedowns. He just has very bad success at it. He, he has only a 20% takedown success rate. If you dig into his fights, sometimes he's like 0 for 9. And like it's, it's bad. He doesn't get them very often. But if he tries enough times and Hooker is tired, he may be able to get some takedowns and have success there. Uh, if you look back to the end of 2016, there was a fight against Jason Knight. Everybody remembers Jason Knight. Uh, where he attempted 13 takedowns against Dan Hooker. He got him down four times and... Jason Knight won that fight by decision. Sully, are you ready for this? Yes. This is how I think Iaquinta wins this fight. In 19 wins, Dan Hooker has one win by decision. In eight losses, he has five losses by decision. When do you think the last time that Al Iaquinta was knocked out was, Lee? Oh, my gosh. No, he's never been knocked out. Yeah, no, he's been yeah. choked. He's been yeah. choked out, but uh, yes, yeah, he hasn't he's been, been submitted three times. Yeah, yeah. All right, so he's been submitted three times. Ally Quinta. One of them was to Michael Chiesa in the uh, tough finale. Another one was he got caught in a darts choke uh, by Mitch Clark. But both of those are a while ago. Yes. And do you know when Dan Hooker's last submission win was? I think it was 1889. <laughs> he has seven submission wins on his record out of his 19 wins. But the last time he won by submission was against Mark Diacasey, and it was by guillotine. Dan Hooker is not catching my boy Ally Quinta in a guillotine. And Dan Hooker is not finishing him by, by knockout. He's never been knocked out. And by the numbers, I Quinta should be favored if this fight lasts. Down the stretch, he will pour it on, and I think that's how Iaquinta's going to win the fight. He's going to win by decision. Well, storyline-wise, let's not forget, this is a huge, huge risk for Al Iaquinta, okay? Al Iaquinta's mm-hmm. ranked number six in the lightweight division. Dan Hooker's number 15, and by all accounts, and anyone who's watched him fight, including us, there's no doubt he's on the rise especially with a victory if he wins this fight. If he wins this fight, he breaks into the top 10. But what you have is a number six guy traveling across the globe to fight a number 15 guy basically on his home turf. That That is balls. Ally Quinta responded to Dan Hooker calling him out. And kudos to Dan Hooker for calling Ally Quinta out because it's a winnable fight. You know, but it's also smart because Al is on the upper side of, you know, he's approaching that that top five. He's, you know, he's number six. So really interesting storyline there. If Al loses this fight, he may 
drop out of the top 10. Hooker wins. He enters the top 10. So, I mean, you got to give credit to Ally Quinta for taking this fight. You really do. He could have said, you know what? I'm ranked number six. You come fight me somewhere else or whatever. You know what I mean? But he accepted this fight. It's a tremendous matchup. As you mentioned, I'm a huge Sarah Longo guy. Um, you know, I don't think you should ever sleep on Al's ground game, whether it's his, his defense, uh, submission defense, or, you know, from an offensive perspective, because when you train with Sarah Longo, you're going to learn, you know, submissions. I think what it's going to really come down to is the fact that um, I just think Hooker, is as much as it pains me to say this, and you covered a lot of the stats already, um, I think it's going to be a tremendous tremendous three round war but i think hooker is going to just eke out a decision i think they're pretty even striking wise they're both good strikers um i wonder if you didn't mention it i apologize but as far as being you know grappler you're were you am i right in saying that you think hookers grappling maybe a little overrated uh, I don't know. He's actually pretty good yeah. for like a kickboxer. Right. That's yeah. what I was going to say. I would say out of those guys, like the people he trains with, I would put him as probably the best one. Uh, he's not bad. Uh, maybe based on what they've shown in their fights, I would even give him the advantage over Iaquinta. And that's where I was getting but at. I, don't, I yeah. don't expect it to really play. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, but if it did, I, I would give Hooker the advantage. But again, like I, you know, you can't sleep on any Sarah Longo fighter in any area because, you know, Longo and Sarah, they're the perfect combination training. They're going to teach you striking, and then obviously, you know, that's more of Longo's game, and then Sarah with submissions. So, you know, you you can't sleep on Al anywhere. But I just think it's going to be a grinded out kind of fight in terms of you know striking and a back and forth, and I think that Hooker is going to eke out a decision. But I will also say, I, I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. And that brings us to the main event of the evening. Uh, return of Robert Whitaker versus everybody's new favorite fighter, Israel Adesanya. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's a minus 150 favorite in this fight on the betting line. Uh, Whitaker is minus 105, so almost even money. Uh, this is a great fight. Uh, they're both Australians. They both had tons of hype. Uh, Whitaker before he got injured was a really big deal. Adesanya now at seventeen and zero, and coming off a a really objectively impressive win against Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, now is super hyped. Uh, how do you see the main event going, Lee? Well, this is uh, the the fight to see who uh, gets to fight Paulo Costa. Um, <laughs> that's my opinion. And, uh, whoever does get to fight him, that's going to be a tremendous matchup. Um, but obviously it's for the title. Whitaker has won nine straight. His last loss was to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson in 2014. Whitaker has 14 wins by finish. Adesanya has obviously never lost. Um, the key here for me is whether Adesanya can take advantage of the fact that he's got a huge uh, 6.5-inch reach advantage. I think he's going to need to use that, um, as well as his kickboxing to keep Whitaker at a distance. And the key for Whitaker is whether he can close that distance. And I actually think he will. Um, They're much different strikers. They're both obviously very good strikers. Um, Adesanya statistically is much more accurate at 52% to 41 in terms of significant strikes per minute. But I think Whitaker has the power. And and when he's healthy and fighting, I think, you know, 
probably more the durability factor. And I mean, look, Adesanya took some punishment from Gasolum, but I think yeah. if Gasolum can connect, then Whitaker will connect, and it's a different kind of connection. No disrespect to Gasolum, but Whitaker's got yeah. that power, and when, when he's healthy and he fights, he's got that power and durability, and I think he has the ability to close the distance and hurt. Is he a bit more than even Gasolum did? Now Whitaker is not as elusive defensively. He absorbs uh, 3.65 strikes per minute to Adesanya's 2.05. So I think that's that battle right. distance that we're going to be talking about. Um, but I think that Whitaker being stronger and physical um, is going to eventually win this fight. I think it's going to be a five-round decision, but I think it's actually going to be a clear decision for Whitaker. Now, the one thing I want to ask leading into your analysis, I actually wonder whether Whitaker might try and take Izzy down on the ground. Will that be a factor at all in this fight? I'm curious to hear what you think. Yeah, uh, I hope so. Uh, that would really gain an advantage for Whitaker if he were to do that. It would be smart. He it would be smart, yeah. Yeah. He he just doesn't do it that often. He he's not likely to look for too many takedowns, but he has a pretty good uh, success rate when he does. Adesanya also has a pretty good takedown defense. Uh, yeah, I mean it's not bad. Right. And and by the numbers, it's at it's at eighty four percent or eighty five percent. But yeah. I mean he can get taken down. I th- I I believe Gaslam took him down, or I I remember Gaslam shooting several times at least. But, I mean, he was in real trouble in the first round versus Gaslam. Uh, Gaslam was not credited with a take uh, with a knockdown, but I, I thought he knocked him down. He definitely had him hurt. Uh, and Whitaker, as you were saying, lands harder. He also lands a lot more in higher volume than uh, Kelvin Gaslam does. And on that same note, I don't think Adesanya has fought anybody that lands at the kind of rate that Robert Whitaker does yet. Yep. And, and pushes the pace the way that Whitaker does. Or even, like you were saying, again, hits as hard as Whitaker does. Like, if you look through uh, Adesanya's opponents, I don't think he's faced anybody of that power or that striking volume. And that that makes it really interesting. Uh, he is a lot taller, and he does have a much greater reach advantage, and I think that could be problematic for Whitaker. And as you pointed out, Adesanya's... Uh, striking defense rate is super impressive and that could be a factor in this fight as well but looking at Adesanya fights he likes to take rounds off Mm -hmm. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't throw or land that much in some rounds and this being another five round fight maybe he'll have the reserves to turn it on in the fifth round like he did against Gaslam that's still to be seen but I believe that Whitaker can outwork him. I don't think he'll take rounds off the same way. No way. And yeah. I think he. I think there's a really good chance that he can catch him and he can crack him. And this is a very close fight. Uh, but I'm gonna lean Whitaker too. When I was breaking this down, I was really close to picking Adesanya, but mm. I'm going to. I'm going to give uh, Whitaker the edge. Yeah, so we both obviously agree that Whitaker is going to take care of this. I, I think in the end, it'll be a very competitive fight. But I, I, I like I said, I think that it'll be a clear decision uh, from Whitaker. And, and I think the, the, the physicality, the strength will be a factor. And this might be the fight for Adesanya. 
where we stop talking about him fighting John Jones, who's an enormous light heavyweight. You know, it's like, please stop already. So, um, yeah. you know, when Whitaker is healthy, he is a fantastic middleweight. And I just don't think that Adesanya has fought anybody like him. There's no shame in losing to Whitaker in a competitive fight. I think it will be competitive, but I think Whitaker, Whitaker will clearly win this fight. Yeah. All right, so that wraps up UFC 243. Uh, I'll be back next week uh, for UFC Tampa. Lee, you're going to be out of town. I will be out of town. High school reunion time. There might be some nice. good. There might be some good fights to talk about. So I'll I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll talk about them when I come back. Uh, I'm actually going to be in Tampa uh, at the event. If any of you guys are going to uh, UFC Tampa, I should be passing out stickers. Uh, If you see me, say hi. But yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, We'll see you guys next time. See you guys.